What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 278 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we'll briefly touch on our results from week 17 in the NFL before diving into a conversation about playoff best ball. Joey, before we get into any of that, though, thoughts and prayers for DeMar Hamlin, one of the more shocking scenes that I can ever remember witnessing in an NFL game occurred last night in Cincinnati. And uh, I mean, it's early right now on Tuesday morning, and we still don't have too many answers on, you know, how the NFL plans to proceed with the rescheduling of this game and all of the fallout that will ensue. But I mean, thoughts and prayers first and foremost for DeMar Hamlin his family, the Bills team, and, and everybody affected by this. Yeah, I mean, for sure, definitely a a, a tough situation to watch uh, last night. And, you know, you just, you just hope he's good, obviously. And definitely interested to see what the NFL does just in terms of the scheduling or restarting the game and whatnot. Because um, obviously a lot of implications for the playoffs and seeding and then you know, when you bring into account like the the money that the NFL brings in and and whatnot, because that that's definitely a subject that they're talking about in their meetings right now, right? Like it it'd be uh, ignorant to not think that's not a part of the conversation. So just interested to see what they're gonna do, but obviously just uh, hope he's good at the end of the day. For sure. I mean, how do you envision the NFL proceeding with this? Like, I I don't think that they can wait too long to play this game. Obviously, the playoffs are in two weeks, right? Less than two weeks at this point. And there's not too much time left. Like if they play it on Wednesday or Thursday, if they move back the four teams playing involved in the Bills and Bengals games this week. And, And at that point, you just start getting into scenarios where the entire NFL playoff schedule looks a lot different than it was originally anticipated to be. Yeah, I mean, obviously they don't have a uh, a plan of action in place for for something like this, so they're they're coming up with stuff on the fly, and we ultimately don't know the route that they're going to take. I think that the most likeliest outcome is this game gets pushed back later this week, probably tomorrow or Thursday, and then the Bills and Bengals will just have a short turnaround to play, you know, on Sunday in their Week 18 games. Unless they decide to move those two games back to Monday night, but then that brings in the conversation of TV deals and or will these networks be willing to work with the NFL, which I, th- I think they will be. But like, can they pull a CBS game, you know, a contracted game per the NFL and, C- and CBS, right, or Fox, but both, both teams are on CBS. Can they move this game from CBS to ESPN? I don't know. And to, to think that they can just do that is pretty ignorant as well because there's obviously a lot of money and contract issues that come into play when you're talking about that so I don't know what they're gonna do it it seems unlikely that they push everything back like a week you know like from week 18 on and it it seems unlikely that they're gonna just full-on cancel or forfeit the game entirely or both teams agree to a tie or something like that 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 seems very unlikely as well. So not sure what the uh, plan of action is for the NFL uh, moving forward. Yeah, I guess we don't really need to waste too much time speculating it. For all we know, the answer could be out by the time this podcast is published. So I I guess we don't need to 
get into too many scenarios. I think just the the one thing I will respond to there is that if the games get moved, like there's no reason why CBS couldn't broadcast the game on on a Monday, right? Like it doesn't just need to go to ESPN. I think that that's what happened when COVID games got moved is that the company originally contracted to have that broadcast still got it, even if it was on like a Tuesday or, or an off day, but we'll see how that plays out. Definitely interesting. Again, first and foremost, the most important thing here is the status and health well-being of Damar Hamlin and hope that ultimately he is okay. We can move on now to our results from week 17 in the NFL. We pushed this podcast back a day. Originally, you know, we planned to talk about NFL playoff best ball and thought that, you know, the results of of the Bills and Bengals game would give us a clearer picture for that conversation. Although I, I guess we could have just recorded this yesterday. In terms of week 17, I mean, I'll be honest, I barely played any DraftKings again, sort of like last week, just with holiday stuff. And I, I had family in town. Like it was just hard to sit down at my setup and, and get stuff going the correct way. And I didn't want to just, you know, blast off a bunch of lineups from my phone and burn money. So I played like three teams, tournament teams. They did okay. I had one Mike Evans squad, but the rest of the team was not hitting that like that. So, uh, you know, minimal profit on DraftKings and prize picks and props, dude. I mean, God, off to such a good start, got so much value in, like probably the best value week that I've had on prize picks, just every slip just looking so, so good. DeAndre Hopkins chalked a couple of those with, you know, becoming a late week inactive. And then the true pain, Joey, and I know you feel me on this, was Amon Ross St. Brown, 14 yards away from both of us having a huge day. Yeah, I mean, had 50 yards going into the second half, needed 76 total receiving yards. So 25 receiving yards in, in the second half has one catch for 11 yards because uh, the Lions are just blowing out the Chicago Bears. If he hits, that would have won me 500 total. So just a brutal, brutal run out for ASB. And, you know, it just seems like there's always one player who uh, who sells you, especially in, in the second half. And the, this week it was ASB, so just, just pure pain. I didn't play much DraftKings either. Just uh, been focusing more on, on prize picks and, and props. Uh, I just get I just get more enjoyment out of it at this point. So yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. I still like playing GPPs. Cash games have really lost their their shine for me. Absolutely. So I mean, I'm I'm all in on the prize pick streets. The one thing, at least at this time of year, that you know gets my heart moving again, gets me feeling things, is, is playoff best ball and. I know that you have some other thoughts and opinions on playoff best ball. I think it's a really interesting game. A lot of strategy goes into it. I think that there's a pretty big edge if you understand roster construction and just can be good at playing out different scenarios in your head because that's really what it's about is the draft board is constantly moving and you have to build teams specific to the way that the beginning of the the draft starts. You know, the early rounds greatly impact the directions you're going in the late rounds. It's less about value. It's less about getting players at good ADPs the way that best ball is it's more so about correlation and building out teams that can sustain through four weeks so in terms of nfl playoff best ball there are two different formats very similar to the dichotomy that we see in season-long best ball on underdog it's a playoff format as is typical of that site you know you draft with six players and you advance through the four weeks to the super bowl all the 
money is in that final week. On drafters, like their season-long format, it's total points. You're not getting elimed if you have a bad week, week one. You're just trying to get the most points from the wild card round through the Super Bowl. And a lot goes into that. So I've got three tips for people on how to build better best ball playoff teams, Joey. But before we get into that, just sort of your thoughts on the format in general and how you feel about approaching it. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I have no interest in playoff best ball. I just think that you you do have an edge in roster construction, right? I like I, I totally agree on that and just understanding how to build playoff teams. But at the end of the day, it's only four weeks, right? And you have to, you literally have to run good. Like that, that's a requirement to win a playoff best ball tournament. You have to run good and you have to get in volume. So for a person like myself that is not in the position financially to be max entering these playoff best ball tournaments, there's really no point for me to play 10 lineups in each contest because the, the variance in my opinion, at least, is extremely high, way higher than regular season best ball. NFL playoffs are literally the most unpredictable sporting event like in the entire world just because one game sample size, bad teams beat good teams all the time, right? Like you stack up the Vikings, they're obviously going to get bounced round one. So why are you even touching the Vikings players? Obviously, that brings into the conversation. Justin Jefferson can still give you that that 30 ball in round one that you need while the Vikings get elimed. But trying to predict overall just what teams are going to win and what teams are not seems pretty you know, high variance. And I think really, in my opinion, I could be wrong. The only way to really mitigate that is volume, mm. right? I think that like if you're playing playoff best ball, like you need to be all in. Like you need you need to be getting like seventy five minimum entries into these contests. That's just my take on it. Uh, so for that reason, I will be entering precisely zero playoff best ball teams <laughs> on either site. Um, and ultimately, I just don't care enough to play it. Like it just doesn't interest me as a game and as a format, whereas, you know, regular season best ball does. And I, I think the money is just better suited just being in my bank account rather than being donated on drafters and underdog fantasy, you know, for a potential bank. Eh, no, I'm, I'm good on that. But, you know, I, I could see. I can see why people do it. If you have the money to, to max enter, I mean, you obviously should. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. It's it's also a relatively new game, which always interests me, is, is getting into games before they're sort of solved. Like we see right now, for example, like the way that cash games are on DraftKings are vastly different than they were even four or five years ago when we first started doing this podcast. And like, I think that, you know, just the longer that a game is around, the better people get at playing it, the more solved it becomes, you know, quote unquote solved as much of a, a game with this much variance can be solved. And and at this point, you just see so many mistakes made that I think that while, while I agree with you that volume drafting is key and you'll have a better chance at realizing your edge over the long term with more entries just simply having a good grasp on things like every team you draft can be better than the ev of a typical team if you go into it knowing exactly what you're doing so that kind of brings me to the three tips that i have to build better best ball teams so far i've done about 50 drafts on underdog about 20 to 25 on drafters I I mean, in terms of volume, I don't think I'll be able to max enter myself, but I think I'll be able to get 50 to 75 on drafters and about 75 on underdog. That's my plan. 
the number one tip that I have, like clear cut in my opinion, is understanding that your objective when drafting a playoff best ball team should be having the potential to field a full roster in all four weeks. And I I see people make this mistake in every single draft. Like it's a fine line because it goes without saying that the objective here is to get a full team through to the Super Bowl. Just like any other format of best ball, the final week is, is what matters most. That's where all the prize money is. But in playoff best ball, like regular best ball, you have to get there. You know, you could build a perfect team, right? With 10 players from the Chiefs and Eagles, think you're sitting pretty, but that team is getting Eland round one because you just don't have, you know, the firepower to advance. Like you you have to finish first out of six people on underdog to even advance past round one. So for that reason, I think the most optimal way to go about constructing these teams is to build teams that assume that two number one seeds won't be playing each other. They have the most upside because you have the chance to play multiple weeks from both sides of the ball. And and the stats back that up. Like if you look through the history of the NFL, through 56 Super Bowls played, only 13 of them have been one seeds playing the other one seed. So there's a 76.8% chance that at least one of the two Super Bowl teams won't be a one seed. It's also worth looking at that 43.75% of teams that have made the Super Bowl since 1970 75 are one seed. So there's a pretty good chance, like a, a 43, almost 44% chance that one of the teams that play in the Super Bowl this year will be a one seed. So I think that the best way that you can build a team structurally is with the assumption that one team, whether it be the AFC or the NFC team, will be the one seed. So, you know, Eagles, Bills, or Chiefs, most likely. You build that stack out and then you sort of do everything that you can to fill out the rest of your roster with high value players from the other conference, which gives you the best chance of fielding a team in all four of four weeks. So when you're uh, building teams, are you taking like multiple teams from opposite conferences? Are you just stacking two teams? Are you stacking one team up from the AFC and then stacking like three teams, you know, mini stacks in, in the NFC? Like, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the best way to do it, at least the way that I do it, and I mean, God, who knows if this is right, but the way that I do it and the way that I think gives you the best chance to win is by really focusing on like two teams from the opposite conference of the one seed stack that you're trying to build. And, and again, that that also goes into where in the draft you sit, because right, there's only three teams that have realistic chances of being the one seed and there's only three quarterbacks. So, you know, three of the teams in every draft, you're going to have to build scenarios out where you're not getting any one seed in the playoffs, which is obviously possible, but like you're going to have to have a San Francisco stack or a Bengals stack or a Cowboys stack or, or something like that. But when you do have your Bills, your Chiefs, or your Eagles, I think you want to be taking basically one player from each position. So a team could look like Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders, AJ Brown, Dallas Goddard, for, for example, and then you have four out of your 10 players there. I would want to be getting as many players from two teams of the AFC that I could get. And, and you know that would just be putting yourself in a scenario where if either of the two teams in the opposite conference on the team you're betting on to make it from your stack gets there, then you have a chance to to field a full roster throughout every single week. So I would take two, you know, Chiefs players in my Eagles stack and then, you know, two Bengals players if if I could get that. And then maybe, you know, a high value one off or just sort of along those lines. You can flip-flop the teams around, but that's just the general way that I I try and look at things, which brings me to tip number 2, which is that you have to prioritize correlation over value. It's more important in this format than in any other to be adaptive and take what the draft board gives you. 
like you, you know the old saying we make plans and god laughs like that's how these drafts feel like a scenario that's happened to me like countless times already is like say you get cd lamb and steph Diggs at the the back end of the one two turn first round you're thinking you have a pretty good chance to to land a cowboys stack here get Dak on the bring back mahomes allen hurts they've already gone in the first round you know the guy who takes Jamar Chase is going to grab Burrow either with his second or third round pick. So four out of the six teams at this point already have quarterbacks. Why would anyone else take Dak? You've got CD. No other Cowboys are going that early in the draft. And like clockwork, you're going to get sniped. Like it's just going to happen a ton in drafts like this. So you've got this dude who has Josh Allen and, and takes a second quarterback. And like, yeah, he's torching his own EV with that team, but he's also torching yours. And you just have to be adaptive and then build that stack in a different way with a more longer shot team, which could end up being massive leverage for you if things break your way. Like you said, this is a high variance game. Bad teams win over good teams all the time in the NFL playoffs. So just being adaptive is extremely important and ultimately understanding that while like the team that you're trying to build in the early rounds may not be the same build that you end up with once you get through rounds 10 or rounds 12, depending on what site you play on. You just have to build every single team the most correlated way possible to make sense that if these picks are hitting, this is what's going to happen throughout the playoffs to make this a good team. And just accept, back to the volume point, that a lot of these teams are just going to get X'd out. But if this team is hitting, this is the way that it's doing it and building teams that way. Like getting a player 10 picks past ADP doesn't make any sense if it doesn't fit into the story that you're telling yourself. So, you know, it kind of goes against everything that we've talked about when it comes to regular season best ball. And we talk about all off season that like, it doesn't matter who the player is. Like if you're getting them at a good value, it's a good pick. I don't think that's at all the case in playoff best ball. And that you know, players being correlated to the outcomes of your team is of the utmost importance, way over value. And that's a mistake I see a lot of people make. They'll just take a player way past their ADP because they're thinking they're getting a value, but that value is doing nothing for the actual potential upside of that team. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that makes sense. And obviously, with everything that we do, correlation is just the uh, the biggest focal point of DFS, best ball, etc. So I mean, it, it definitely makes sense that you gotta make sure your, your teams are correlated. Like, like that's a given. And like I said, that's where you know the edges besides volume is understanding just roster construction and correlation and uh, and uh, understanding how to build these teams. So like I said, I do agree. There's an edge there for sure. I still believe that the the edge is in volume. And there's going to be a ton of dead teams for sure. So that definitely improves your uh, your min cash equity for sure. All right, final tip that I have, and then we can close things out here. But this one can't be overstated enough, and that's not to undervalue the importance of one-offs. And we saw this last year in playoff best ball where Gabriel Davis advanced literally everybody who had him in last year's divisional game. He had 50 fantasy points in the Chiefs game, 201 yards, four touchdowns. But think about how many of those teams were like Bill's onslaughts. And so Gabe advanced you to the championship round, but you didn't make the finals with those Bill stacks because you needed Bengals and Rams stacks with a Gabe Davis one-off. So while there are teams I think that we can all realize have like 
almost virtually no shot of making it to the Super Bowl. Teams like the Chargers, the Giants, I would put the Jags, the Ravens, the Bucks. Personally, I even think the Vikings are in, in that mix as well. Maybe I'm a hater, but I mean, I think you're on the same page with that. Like just saying that the Vikings are around one Elam. Like I, I totally agree with that. That being said, like just because those teams can't make it to the Super Bowl realistically, they still have high ceiling one-off options that you could end up needing, i.e. Gabe Davis last year. So while you're building your teams to sustain for four weeks and make it to the Super Bowl, you don't want to completely skip over teams that you don't believe in just because they don't have the long-term equity throughout the playoffs. For example, just the Vikings going back to them. Like I think that they're a team that has like a, a ceiling of two games in the playoffs. I don't really think that they have what it takes, the state of their secondary to make it to the championship round. It's not going to stop me from taking shots on Justin Jefferson. You know, going back to some of those other teams, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Saquon Barkley. Like these are all guys that I want to be mixing in. And I think the way that it makes the most sense to do it is not by onslaught stacking those teams because the chances of them making the Super Bowl is so slim, more so using them to supplement the weeks that you won't have your one seed players, i.e. week one. So the way to do that would be, you know, best case scenario, you take Tom Brady and Mike Evans, they give you a big game in week one. Doesn't really matter if the Bucks get elimed because you're getting Jalen Hurts and AJ Brown back for week two. And the story you're telling yourself with that roster is that the Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. You got your, your value out of the Buck stack in week one, and now the Eagles stack will carry you for weeks two, three, and eventually to the Super Bowl. And I think that that's just the absolute best way to do it. And the last layer of that is sort of, again, thinking about correlation and what makes sense. So rather than taking like a Chargers and a Jags player in the AFC as your one-offs, you take two Chargers players because you, in the scenario you're telling yourself where that's a successful pick, the Chargers are winning the game against the Jags in the wild card round, and then you're getting two games out of your Chargers players opposed to getting you know one game out of your Chargers player, one game out of your Jags player, and then only one game out of those two picks in the following round. Mm. And that's just kind of what I'm saying about making smart decisions with your lineups to get the max production out of every pick that you make. Yeah, I mean, definitely makes sense. And just from everything I gathered, really, like the the main edge is obviously roster construction, right? Like just understanding how to build teams and how to build them smartly and correctly to uh, put yourself in the best position possible to uh, maybe get some run good and uh bank one of these playoff best ball tournaments so i know i said i'm not playing any but i will be rooting for you and i i hope that everybody listening learned something from you and, and how to build better teams because i i can agree that if you're if you're entering contests there's going to be one or two teams in every draft that you do that are dead off rip so from that perspective like you're getting in your money you know pretty pretty well i, I would say um I just think that the risk outweighs the the reward for playoff best ball. And then I also believe if you're not in a position to get in a ton of volume, it's better to just stay away and focus on DFS still. We're going to have a bunch of three-game slates coming up, right, or, or two-game slates with the playoffs soon about to start. So I think that's a better investment. I think prize picks slash underdog props are in better investment if you're not able to get in a ton of volume into these playoff sites. So Ben will probably be doing uh, playoff drafts from here on out. Some join the Discord. Make sure you're tuned into that. Uh, he'll definitely say when when he's in drafts if you want to draft with him. And you know I'll still be focused on DFS and 
in prize picks uh, from from here on out, and and no playoff best ball from me. So no matter how you're trying to get it in, there's still a lot of ways to get it in, and and I think that the the regular NFL season is ending, but the grind is not. We still have a good month and a half left to make this bread, and that's what we intend to do. Yeah. So got 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 some plays from Prize Picks in, in the Discord right now. So link for that's in the description. Make sure you join that growing community over there. Make sure you uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel Dose Media Network. We're almost at 800. Should be at 800 uh, after today or tomorrow. So th- things are looking up. And shout out to everybody listening. Shout out to the people, and that is going to be it for episode 278 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Dose Media Net, as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover, Joey's at Joey Carrion DFS. If you guys want to connect with us and stay up to date with what's going on within the network, you can join our inner circle via the free Discord chat Joey mentioned. The link to find that is in the show notes to the podcast. To everybody listening out there, we appreciate you, we value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.